Namaste Jai Hind you're watching or listening to the ANI podcast with Smita Prakash. We do appreciate the fact that you take time out to tune in to this podcast. Do share it with people who you think will benefit by listening into this conversations. In episode 66 we had a conversation with Colonel Pavitran Rajan a military veteran on the challenges India faces in asymmetrical war. in the times of the israel hamas conflict and also what the intel chiefs of the five eyes countries have spoken about it's time to revisit that episode and what we discussed in that episode and what are the challenges india faces today in that episode colonel pavitran prophetically warned that a number of cyber attacks on india will see a spike and sure enough a study found that 83% of indian companies were hit with cyber attacks last year resulting in millions of dollars in losses in october cbs in america in its show 60 minutes conducted an interview with the leaders of five eyes countries the intelligence alliance of us with its allies the consensus was that in addition to threats to national security china has been stealing intellectual properties from companies the intelligence directors have cautioned all the countries and private sector included i'm joined in this conversation with my colleague ajit dubey Kalm Pavitran thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, again uh, we really appreciated the earlier one we got a lot of feedback saying bring him on again and uh, sure enough you know there were so many incidents which have happened in the past couple of weeks uh, you know the kind of situation that is happening in the middle east in in west asia in the israel hamas conflict and also uh, you know this cbs uh program which uh, i heard in which the intel chiefs of uh, the five i countries the five i's countries they were sitting and talking so ajit and i discussed this and we said that oh my god what colonel pavitran said in episode 66 that's exactly what these intel chiefs are talking about and uh you know so we said we should have you back on our show and discuss this um before i uh, ask you the question i'm going to just uh, quote this uh, mike burgess of australia he's the director general of security uh, in charge of australian security intelligence he said in this uh, interview in 60 minutes he says absolutely all countries spy our countries spy all governments have a need to be covertly informed all countries seek strategic advantage but the behavior we are talking about here he's talking about china uh, but the behavior we are talking about here goes well beyond traditional espionage this scale of theft is unprecedented in human history and that's why we're calling it out now these uh, intel chiefs of the five countries were calling it out in uh, october 2023 in private meetings with 15 top silicon valley executives and stanford university so it wasn't just a closed door meeting of just the intel chiefs they were actually interacting with the private sector and they were talking about a kind of theft and this is exactly what you were warning about in episode 66 when we discussed so now it's come out where the intel chiefs realize that it's not enough for governments to deal with it it's necessary for the private sector to know and to deal with it too firstly thank you for having me back i'm very you know happy that you have taken this particular you know segment which is not very widely known to the masses so i was very happy when you called me back again uh now comes to this particular thing about what mr burgers has said okay if he's uh, i speak in a very academic way 
I am not talking about any political bias per, per se here. And uh, for me, both the West and both China, including and China, both are nation people and nations who have done very well for themselves. So I hold no personal rancor against them. I okay. need to clarify this when I put this. because i may not exactly you know uh, go through the standard narrative which is today present in the english speaking sphere but when you look at uh, what has happened um, maybe china has started beating the west at their own game okay mm. because if you look at the history of uh, where um, you know uh, not, not only data uh, even espionage industrial espionage has uh, happened the original uh, you know uh, people who were guilty of this whole thing was initially the west mm. so if you look at it historically porcelain tea all these things you know silk all these things were taken out of china mm. okay by the west now if it is only the scale of it when i think about it china yes they have become a cyber power because they are a manufacturing you know economy and they have got appliances in cyberspace okay mm. and in 5g was a time when they took the initial lead uh, they were first off the block and that is where huawei was targeted but if you look at the snowden revelations it's very clear the first ones to actually weaponize uh, you know the ict uh, market reach is the west mm. so i think it's a little bit thick you know when i look at it from an academic sense but having said that i understand why they are saying so mm. why do they say that i did say there is a present world order dominated by the west but this is the time where it's going to is slowly changing okay how it is going to you know play out in the next uh 3 4 years or maybe next decade will decide the next maybe 100 years so mutual destruction by both <laughs> no not exactly let's hope that uh the political brains of both sides huh. will only you know uh, threaten and not you know uh, go for destruction but then if a war ever breaks out to calibrate it calibrate it is not easy yeah okay so there is a uh, first military so called military historian called Thucydides who studied the Peloponnesian wars and he clearly brought out that the powerful countries will always do what they uh, have to and the weak weak weaker countries has just to suffer it and it's same today even in international relations all the way what the united states is that etc and a you know rules based order but the people who make the rules the real powerful they don't follow the rules so it's not right or wrong it's the power it is a power of course Okay, it and is no no good or evil, no right or wrong when it comes to. And, and I personally feel that our when initially when we were nonaligned and you know we were talking about uh, rule, you know we were very very moralistic about international relations. No, I think it was extreme stupidity. No, that mm. means we had no understanding of uh, global things. Mm. And if you look at China, China, they also went through that initial. You know, they supported the uh, West in the sec, uh, you know first world war or second world war, and the West did not. you know uphold their promises they learned their lessons hmm. but we have become very moralist we have taken moralistic positions benefit of realism for decades together absolutely hmm. no other word for it okay we have to be very very realist you know and uh, we have suffered because of that which is why i kept asking you sir that uh, you know when when i heard this talk i get it that the americans did it so when they did it it was okay but when somebody else does it it's wrong but the point for me as an indian is that that somebody else now is an enemy of mine so here what happens this is what a soft power so the people who tend to follow what they speak rather than uh, follow what uh, how they act they get the coverage in fact the press i think has also been culpable globally hmm. they have given coverage to people who follow the talk talk the talk 
they never gi- have given coverage to you know walk the walk you know or people mm. who want you talk about walking the walk give me an example okay uh, so how do i put it any incident in the past in the in yeah it will come to me sometimes i get these gaps because i've started becoming an absent minded professor myself in some ways <laughs> let's talk about your lived experience where did you feel that oh yeah let me let me tell you once i came i retired and i came into you know the advisorship and this and i came into think tank circle when i used to talk about war people say pavi let's not talk about war let's stick to warfare so my first this was why why can't we talk about war and i immediately realized in india now this people might not, might not like me for saying it i said if it is war it's a military domain if it is warfare it's an economic domain mm. okay now there is one clit uh, clausewitz on war that is the ultimate treatise which is written okay it's a politic they he uh, analyzed that war is a continuation of politics by other means now since the time of independence this is again my viewpoint i might be totally off but i may not be you know people might not be happy with it when i think about it the actual people who got you know inherited uh, in um, you know uh, independence were the lawyers hmm? the if you i talk about anyone from mahatma gandhi to you talk about any <laughs> any of our freedom fighters most of them were lawyers who got yeah. it hmm. and what did they do uh, i'm not denying that there were reasons they were worried that okay the military might take over and establish a military dictatorship but keeping the military away has come with costs hmm. okay so one class which clearly says two things are you know absolutely necessary for both the statesman as well as the general intellect as well as courage so if you look at a foreign policy overall intellect was undoubted but many things we could have done with slightly more courage is what i always felt mm-hmm. okay and uh, if you look at china they didn't bother about uh, you know uh, uh, what will people say what will people do they had they always did what they had to do realism absolute realism right and that's where, and that's where they have reached where they did but these uh, countries now discussing it with the private sector hmm. and saying and taking intelligence matters to the people hmm. to say that it's because this means that it's not enough for governments to combat hmm. uh you know this kind of uh, espionage activity it is necessary for the private sector to pick up cudgels not hmm. just have defenses in place hmm. but get involved proactively okay this could also be because the planned outreach to china okay uh, when um, uh, Kiss- henry kissinger made his fa- famous trip and then they you know allowed china to join uh, mm. the uh, wto and the us uh, the western um, industry was allowed to go out there you know mm. make china a manufacturing base mm. if you look at it in one way it was again a planned uh, strategy by the west saying that finally when wealth and middle classes will come up in china the chinese political system will change but that has not happened hmm. okay so and china has started threatening the american led world order and maybe and that is the reason why they have gone to the people and the industries because now is the time to change they said okay that experiment is not worked let us cut off technological cooperation let us start changing the changing the supply chain etc and china has got a tremendous lead today they have got the largest trained manpower for manufacture manufacturing and it's not so easy to uh, change that particular powerhouse just on econo- you know pol- um, you know ge- uh, geopolitical this because the economic incentive for people to continue in china is tremendous hmm. they are able to produce things at a scale and at, at a quality at that cheap pre- uh, price 
Now, emerging markets like India, etc., will take some time before we really start competing with China. So it's very clear why they are trying to do this. Yes, uh, because see, in um, I'm going to quote another one, uh, Ken McCallum, who's the director of uh, MI5, hmm. uh, and uh, he says this is not about government secrets or military secrets. Now, hmm. since you are a career intelligence officer, I want your take on this. This is not just about government secrets or military secrets. It's not even about critical infrastructure. It's about academic research in our universities. That's why they went to Stanford University. It's about academic research in our universities. It's about promising startup companies. People in short who probably think that national security is not about them. See, this is something which we have seen also, Ajit. You know, like yes, when when we talk about national security, most people tend to think I'm just a middle uh, level businessman or I'm just a, a housewife. I'm just a teacher. Meriko kya lena dena with security, national security. What does my small business venture have to do with national security? But this Five Eyes meeting says that we all have, uh, you know, something to do with in this game. Okay, what he was talking about is research, intellectual property, yes. stealing at a massive scale. Yeah. At this point, the West is ahead of the rest of the world. So, the chance of the West needing to steal from, you know, economies, etc., which are below them, will not be that much. But if you look at the literature, it's very clear. Even among Western countries, they are definitely stealing IP, etc., from each other. Hmm. But now China is doing that, and uh, they feel the pinch. You have to see the population uh, size also of China. Okay. Hmm. Uh, if the Americans can commit a million people to intelligence, the Chinese might be able to commit 10 million. That is where the different difference come. Okay, and uh, I feel that they are talking about. Um, for the first time, they're worried about their actual intellectual property and technological lead uh, might get surpassed. They're worried, very clear. They and didn't uh, have defenses in place. And so, like um, this uh, CBS program. Hmm. Have you ever seen such such an? In, do you remember any such instance where intelligence chief of five countries are coming together, sit with the academia, and openly say that we are facing this th this kind of a threat? I think this hmm. is also unprecedented that all of them have come out and open targeting one country again talking about their alliances with Russia, how they are becoming cyber superpowers. Yeah, true. In fact, the Five Eyes, till very recently, 2010 was, I think, one of the first times when it, they, you know, it came out, and then Snowden bought out the whole thing. Before that, it was it was not an alliance which was highly known. Yeah, even though it has existed from the World War Two yes, post World yes, War Two era. Yes, so it has slowly evolved from the, you know, just before the Americans entered the Second uh, Second World War, and uh, to till Snowden, it was not much known. They, they used to say there is a a program called Echelon, which was, became a little bit controversial. And in Echelon, also the controversy was they are also involved involved in, uh, you know, industrial espionage. But um, when you think about, uh, yeah, it is un it is unprecedented. It shows resolve. And these are all, you know, um, uh, intelligence agencies which has nurtured the Silicon Valley. Okay? Not only the Silicon Valley, uh, you know, innovation in all their countries. So China is caught on. China is just, actually, if you look at it, the Chinese strategy is just copying Western strategy. Hmm. Okay. So the original sinners definitely are the best. But yes, China has beaten them, started beating them at that game. But it's like uh, penetrating universities. Did America do that to Chinese universities? Did America do that in Indian universities? They have got into academia. And that that is influence peddling. That is also, uh, they can make and break 
opinion, public opinion, get into media, get into uh, think tanks, get into academia. So that part, I agree with you. Okay, um, in when the West, the Westerners were on ascendancy in the last, you know, two hundred odd years uh, since Enlightenment and Industrial Revolution, etc. So uh, their globalization, etc., did not occur today. Uh, you know, where they were copying from China was not today. It was a, that was about five hundred, six hundred years back, hmm. four five centuries back. I mentioned about porcelain and you know tea hmm. at that time. Today they are so much ahead; they don't need to come to Indian universities or Chinese universities to you know steal from us. Okay, hmm. so they've not done that. That's why they are uh, you know the West, uh, the the Anglophone you know uh, sort of colonialism. Yeah, the cultural imperialism has happened hundreds of years ago. Is what you're no, saying, probably. Uh, yeah, in the last. We are all Macaulay putras. <laughs> <laughs> so in one way, uh, the Ang the the British Empire in one way was. You know, whatever they did, they did it with a lot of finesse. Hmm. Okay, I remember once someone telling me, uh, you know, this was a um, a civil servant whose par uh, whose uh, parents were in the independence movement. They he told me that you know uh, my father had a gun, so they just subtly withdrew the license because some protests they had participated, and they never would give the license back. And he valued that gun quite a bit, but he says the local DC always used to come and have tea, but he never used to. The gun part of it. So it is not that uh, you know they never used to use that steel fist. It was more of a you know velvet glove. Hmm. So that subtlety is very important, and that's why those empires have lasted much longer. Hmm. Okay, anyone who like if you look even look at the Mughal Empire, it's not that the previous emperors uh, didn't uh, didn't do harsh things. Hmm. Okay, but the it started breaking up when Aurangzeb went totally full. You know, the subtlety was missing. When like uh, Ma'am asked you about uh, whether the Americans. Or the Westerners were getting into our universities hmm. or our academia, hmm. but uh, they uh, they may not be uh, trying to steal any information or any any research going on in here. But uh, uh, now the Chinese are also trying to establish themselves as a power in this domain. Hmm. So you think there can be attacks or attempts? Uh, uh, they are uh, trying to get into our universities, or they are already into our universities and academia. Okay, so. For to understand this, you have to think about about a century and a half back, okay, when the British Empire was at, at its zenith, and that's the time when all these endowments etc were made for attracting the best and the brightest globally. Okay, if you look at the American system itself, they are a land of immigrants, and what do they say? Uh, if you are smart enough, come, leave the American dream. They attract the best and brightest from all over the world all to the world. come out there and give them opportunities. Okay. In fact, a very interesting aside was when this Ukraine-Russian uh, war started off. One way they thought they will punish Russia is saying that let us declare special visas for the Russians, so the the best Russians come over there. Can you imagine? You know, saying uh, saying it that. So when you look at it, we are people who educate our best and brightest primarily on a taxpayer's education, and they go out there. So who benefits? Now there are. Programs like Shevening scholarships and many other scholarships where the West, you know, provide, and our Western writers aspire and go out there, and they get influenced. You know, it's a subtle form of influence peddling, and the Chinese started doing the same thing using the Confucius Institute. They had still not learned the art of subtlety, okay, that art of influencing and soft power. They will eventually learn. You, you I get that, mm -hmm. but uh, as an Indian, mm -hmm. for me, I am more worried currently. 
वॉट हैपन हंड्रेड ईयर्स अगो फाइन बट करंटली आई एम वर्ड बिकॉज वेन इफ वी आर फाइटिंग अ टू फ्रंट वॉर आई एम वर्ड दैट द चाइनीज आर पिकिंग अप दिस Definitely. So I, uh, you know, I've got a book just there where I've clearly said our problems with China is because we have got this border problem. Hmm. Okay. Since they've got a border which is unsettled, and their stated aims and their, you know, um, that's a worry for us. Okay. Where they will uh, try and they are they are asking for large chunks of our land or laying claims on it because of which we are more, you know, uh, worried about China. That is the immediate thing. but if you look at the overall grand strategic picture we need to also be you know if you look at the western literature itself they are worried about us that will this nation of we are the largest pop, you know population today if we take off will they be a future threat they are talking about it today yeah so we we need to worry okay the increase the immediate threat like for you know two decades back no one was talking about china when china was hiding its stake and gradually growing we only talk about pakistan it's human nature no that anything which is immediate and in your face is what you look at uh, the human brain looks at immediate threats they don't think about future threats correct but we were aware uh, or at least most peop- many people were aware about say for example qatar everybody was like why would qatar do anything why would we be worried about qatar but they had already started with al jazeera they had already started uh, with endowments and their uh, influence in academia in america Th- that that work had already started people would tend to think it's a small country how does it matter hmm. but it does matter however small hmm. they had aspirations far beyond their size there hmm. are historically yes they were also you know uh, they have a, a world view in fact they created a religion which is now spread globally so they've got a global view and when you have that rich you know when you have that sort of wealth and power that's when you and when you are totally in the comfort zone is when hmm. you start thinking globally so i'm going to come into this uh, the cbs program again because again i'm going to come to this whole thing about what common people think like many people who feel that how does it matter to me mere ko kya you know i'm going to come back to that thing where most people even when you know this hacking story comes out that phones are hacked and all that they're listening in many of my friends and relatives will say ah how does it matter to me i'm mm. just you know i don't have anything to do sunna chahte to sun le combined stolen more of our personal and corporate data than every nation big or small combined it is a threat to our way of life in a in a number of ways the first is that when people talk about stealing innovation or intellectual property that's not just a wall street problem that's a main street problem that means american jobs american families american livelihoods and the same thing for every one of our five countries directly impacted by that theft He's talking about the five countries, but I'm extrapolating to our country too. It's not some abstract concept. It has flesh and blood, kitchen table consequences. Here's one example: When China stole the technology secrets of one American wind turbine company, the company lost its competitive advantage, sales collapsed, and it laid off nearly 700 workers. That's when I come. That study found that 83% of Indian companies were hit by cyber attacks. Most people will think, "What will they get by this?" Not realizing that. Mm. that information is collected by 
China and given to a competitor in China and you could lose your business. It could be an exporter sitting in Okla. You're absolutely right. But okay, let me put it in that way. The Western, uh, the Westerners have a viewpoint, hmm. or the Chinese have a viewpoint, but we should have our own viewpoint. Okay. Where is Indian data largely residing? It is not on Chinese servers or social media. It is on the Western servers. Everyone has got a Gmail. Everyone has got a Yahoo this. Where are we participating in our social media? Where is our data lying? Think about it that way. Is lying in America? With the West, yeah, absolutely. And if you look or at... Or in uh, Scandinavian countries somewhere? Much lesser, much lesser. But the largest dep uh, repositories are definitely... I, uh, last time also I mentioned that there's an American-owned internet. And in Europe, if you see, there is a movement where people want to get their data back. They said we can't because they understand that it's an advantage. Like, for example, uh, many years back, I saw that, uh, you know, from one of our military, you know, those days, uh, they were writing to different people, arms, you know, okay, we are interested in this uh, particular, you know, when you write to them at that particular point of time, um, this was quite a few years back. They were on, I think, Yahoo Mail. If you write to different people on Yahoo Mail, the competition, finally, where is Yahoo? Yahoo is an American company. They'll come to know all the codes, whom they are interested in, everything, you know. Hmm. So I used to mention at that time, but it was beyond people's hmm. imagination. So today, whatever you do, it is at their mercy that you get a particular, you win a particular co contract. They have everything. Okay, that's why I said economic colonization. It's hmm. a total uh, colonial construct. Because that's exactly how, uh, if you look at how East India Company came in, and how did they come in? Many people feel that they just came in and conquered. No, they never conquered. If you look at, look at it, it was a very gradual process. Okay, And who were the groups which are uh, you know, siding with the British East India Company? It was the traders, our businessmen. In fact, even the Battle of Plassey, if you look at it in, increasingly, it is that one business guy you know, who decided to, you know, because his business, business was getting affect, affected. That's precisely what is happening today. So we have still not been able to get our laws in place. We do not have a Foreign Agents Registration Act. We don't have a Lobby Act because of which we lost our privacy. You know, I personally feel this, my this. Last time I had said that we'll wait for the legislation to come. But at this stage, okay, the legislation is not fully come because it is wide open. There are so many rules which are supposed to be bought in. But when I think about it, if we don't get this right, I feel that we'll really miss, miss the bus. It's a whole economy. Finally, it's all economy. You know, data is got linked to with economy and livelihood. And it's gradual. By the time the East India Company took, you know, you know, 1857 was when certain major locals got affected, right? The first mm. so-called struggle. But mm. by the time they, they had become the ascendant power. Today, mm. if you look at the economy, which is increasingly going digital, who are the beneficiaries of this? Mm. Because uh, there is something called the OSI model, okay? Where you, it's a theoretical model where you say, okay, at lowest is chips and the highest is the application layer. In between are all the other layers. So if you look at both the American and Chinese strategies, they want to control from layer 1 to 6. Both are happy if you join at layer 7. We should be concentrating on getting uh, control of layer 1 to 6. So you have entered into the digital age, you have started transiting into a 100% digital economy with no control. Stupidity. There's no other word for this. We are talking about five countries coming together, talking about one country and how it is wrong when they were actually, as you called them, the original sinners. Now in this entire thing, as an Indian, I'm uh, sitting here, I'm feeling that 
is india totally out of the picture when we talk about these capabilities that somebody is uh, doing industrial as espionage they have reached levels where they can penetrate into their system their academia their research institutes somebody is worried somebody has already done it somebody is now doing it where are we in this entire thing is is this uh, is this being too moralistic because even today when we go to uh, like uh, when we meet up with people we 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 listen to all this very soft talks that oh that country that this country they are friends like sometimes which sounds very unrealistic because you have you have jumped right into the you know the actual place where we, you know it's a slightly difficult topic to you know even talk about because we have trapped where we are okay we have trapped in our own narratives of you know moral ascendancy yeah moral ascendancy is for personal life you know in a societal life etc in international relations people speak morally but they act in a different way you know act in a different way yeah. which um somehow i feel that we've been slightly poor and then if you look at chanakya we are the guys who actually you know absolute realist okay uh, they say uh, machiavelli on steroids but we have forgotten those lessons i keep wondering how did we ever forget those lessons soft state sir so it won't be exactly a soft state i sometimes feel that uh, how did we reach you know it is very clear that people you know we had some of the richest alluvial plains you know the plains where wealth is created but we and usually what happens in two three generations people become you know more peaceful indolent you know wise yeah okay and always invasions will come from the mountains deserts that is where life is tough those people don't have those privileges so if you look They're at hardy in- yes yeah this is throughout history if you look at it uh indian history it always we you know we uh, people used to come from the people and we say oh we didn't go across to them it is not because we are different people who will go from this lovely plains into the highlands of afghanistan or tibetan plateau anywhere there's no wealth there to extract so uh, two things i want to bring uh, one was that you know uh, what you talked about our foreign policy and how it was uh, it was very uh, it was in this bubble hmm. romanticism of uh, of non alignment uh, we had uh, a lieutenant general on the show and he was saying that with a muscular foreign policy that we have now it is necessary to have a tougher or a stronger security policy too uh, do you agree with that okay firstly i personally feel that uh, to have a muscular foreign policy you need to have muscles yeah. okay we don't have the muscles so i personally feel we should you know the chinese saying is good speak softly and carry a big stick let's get the big stick and even after you get the big stick uh, big stick speak very softly hmm. okay that's my pers- personal view point you don't need to be muscularly you know india has got its own power it's we have got a culture which is attractive but we need to protect ourselves you know that is the first thing and we have to realize that uh peace will come when you are strong hmm. peace will never come by being a peacenik that's the history of mankind you have to be have a very strong military rest diplomacy etc are icings on the cake but the cake has to be built on you know a strong military and economic power there's no other way and where do you get a strong economic and military power being a manufacturing nation and then that atmanirbhar in military and other stuff you know hmm. otherwise diplomacy has no meaning it it can any time be you know you can be punctured if you look at 1962 
diploma diplomacy wise we were much ahead of china we had such a standing among the world countries we lost it and everything got un- unwound hmm. okay so we should not have a muscular policy we don't need to be muscular we can still be kind we can still be what we are uh, but we can't you know this is criminal by you know by sidelining the military or the security and not becoming a manufacturing is criminal to our people hmm. okay and history will repeat itself so so uh, you know earlier i had talked about uh, this thing that most uh, civilians or most people who are not in any way connected to uh, the military would say i'm just i'm just a businessman how does it matter to me whereas uh, like i gave you the example of this what they were discussing about now suppose i'm i'm a, a businessman who's uh, doing you know making uh, flyovers in mm. say telangana somewhere i'm in you know new city is being made and i'm making flyovers mere ko kya lena dena i'm a mid level businessman why should i have on my uh, director of my of some intelligence organization in my board why should i involve why should i be interested in international relations how does it matter to me now listening to this podcast uh, or this show it made me realize that that construction that i'm doing that you know if china wants to stop it can stop the material which is being imported from there to that businessman that work can stop that infrastructure work can stop in that city and then the government can turn around and say this contractor is useless i'm not going to give to him a chinese contractor can come and say that i can do this at a cheaper rate than this what happens they get it hmm. right this is how people who not realizing that even your business can get impacted is not just the borders yeah correct now how do i put it across without antagonizing people no let me okay i'll just no antagonize <laughs> i want people to realize how it's impacting everybody okay so when i uh, got into and start, started studying this industry basically ict industry okay um, and i started wondering how do we create our own uh, one of the first people whom i started uh, ran into were the germans you meet any german in you know bangalore he will start talking about german engineering and i since i studied the subject i knew that's so part of the narrative no if you meet any american officer no they'll talk about our defense technology hmm. part of the narrative they have they've been right now you know it comes naturally to them hmm. to you know talk about that and they're so proud of it um it starts off with the education okay the education system hmm. now i met this german lady who told me that in germany all education is free they got some fantastic universities you know all 300 400 500 years old not very well known because they don't try to market it because it is free the government pays for it you can st- study from kindergarten to do your phd it's free okay uh, even from india a lot of people go only thing they say is you should know the german language and you should have money to so because it's expensive a place germany and they'll allow you to study freely now there they say the engineer is spotted right from you know childhood uh is he meticulous is he systematic then they say okay this guy can be engineer and that's when he goes and does engineering uh someone else might have certain other attributes they might say push him into something so an engineer out there is born, you know it's great he's born so that's why the mercedes if you bring you know 10000 uh, germans bring them in the indian up in the indian culture they will not be able to create a mercedes Hmm. you have to be born brought up in that culture to create the mercedes okay 
now i come back to our narrative okay why i'm saying is why don't we come to know now when i said about antagonizing when i studied the ict industry i realized most of the chinese ict industry has been created by indians you'll be amazed okay chinese identified okay indians have got the skill and some of these indians whom they hired they all had american passports and why did they have american passports they told me sir it's basically to travel but i am from you know i am from bangalore but this passport is easier for me to travel so i've taken it and when they you know i don't want to name the company because i don't want to name the individual and get him into any sort of trouble he says i quit this company because uh, the americans started targeting that chinese company so i decided to move on so i said now tell me whether how can you create so he says uh, colonel in china the average china chinese guy is mediocre this is observation but the guys at the top no they extraordinarily smart in india he says the average indian when i come into this tech sector brilliant but the guys at the top no hmm. so this is something which he says i said why how does it happen but the guys at the top are the educated ones i'm not talking about the industry he's saying people running the country country Okay, this you know I say it with a lot of you know this might not stand me in good stead, but if I don't come here and speak the truth, sure. Okay, how will there be a co- you know a change in co- uh, direction? How will that introspection not happen? Even in the military, uh, I was I think I might have been a very difficult youngster for a lot of CEOs, you know, because I used to ask the obvious questions and people used to get irritated. Hey, you being I said how I'm not being negative. I'm just telling you. No, mm-hmm. but sir. Uh, uh, talking about tough questions and answers hmm. now we have come from a uh, from a we 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 are a country where two prime ministers are known to share the each and every detail of our intelligence officers with a enemy country so you don't talk about that strategic uh, culture i am a politically absolutely <laughs> no, you know i'm <laughs> saying the, the kind of romance we were in in terms of the unrealistic foreign policies or unrealistic perceptions you know policies. perceptions of see here i say again people and their mindset see i study in information warfare and our brains are all structured differently okay when they say left liberal and right liberal both might be liberal in thought the brain makes him left or right it's how you're wired so both have their advantages okay i see it i look at it academically but realism is something which in national security you cannot miss out somewhere i feel that we miss that out civilizationally even today when you look at our rhetoric our narrative oh we used to have such knowledge we shouldn't carry it beyond a certain point Okay, from that time, thousands of years, maybe we might have been ahead. India was known as a land of knowledge, and people used to come from all over the world. But okay, so that shows that you can do it. Like people have asked me, when you say Atman, it's it's a cultural thing, you know, uh, uh, you know, innovation, manufacturing. I said you're correct. What you don't understand is a culture starts off by policy. Look at North and South Korea, same people, two different cultures because of change in policies. China before Deng, after Deng, Singapore, how it changed? Policy. Okay, people try to even today. I heard it ten, uh, twenty years back. Oh, India is just twenty years. In twenty years, we'll create this ICT. You know, even today, people say, "Oh, twenty years." Who is giving those ideas? It is a narrative. It is a rhetoric. No. So when fifteen people say, "Oh, we can only do this twenty years hence," will a policy gentleman take the decision? because he's being told 
oh, we are still not there. It will happen. I remember this Dr. Akshay Garwal, the founder, you know, um, vice chancellor of Gujarat Technological University. He's a professor emeritus in Windsor University, Canada. He was the first gentleman to reach out to me when, uh, you know, the Modi government, I was at that time with the MHA, I'd written a paper. And he, being a professor in, uh, you know, computer science, could understand what I was writing. And he invited me over. Okay. He clearly said, we are with what Pavitran Rajan is saying. Initially, when Indians make technology, it will be shoddy. He says, like the Japanese, after Second World War, when they initially started making, it was cheap, shoddy technology. The Chinese, just about 20 years back, they were cheap, shoddy, shiny technology. Korean, if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. But you will reach there. But who are the people preventing this? This requires leadership. You cannot have the, you know, the tail wagging the entire dog. The government has to step and said, okay, this is what it is. We have to impose, you know, you have to take that leadership decisions uh, and then get through. You can't allow the bureaucracy or the, you know, uh, whatever, you know, GFR to dictate how we will reach there. I think we are not taking the right decisions. This is my viewpoint. I might be wrong. I've done a lot of study on it. A lot of people say I'm right. Uh, so when you talk about uh, uh, separating the, the uh, uh, gap be, uh, being there between the foreign policy or whatever policy the government of is making and the military. Hmm. Uh, now, uh, what I, uh, I can draw from this is that you are saying that whatever policies the country comes out with, whether it is the ICT policy uh, or... Uh, or policy for imports of certain things, certain material, the military view should be taken and it should be, the decision should be taken together, keeping in the military or the national security perspective. Is holistic, that what? Yeah, yeah, the holistic perspective. Uh, there are many people who say, you know, uh, say I need the best and the bright, uh, you know, the best and the cheapest, okay, the best. Because in war, we don't get a second chance, the best. Now you look at how we go about doing the engine. Okay, uh, I'm just giving you an example of the aircraft engine and what the Chinese are doing. Okay, they have stuck to reverse engineering and building their own. No imports. I remember last two decades, many senior Air Force officers used to say, we are holding our own, we have got much better technology. But today that gap has started closing. They will reach there. Okay, our gap is, you know, we are still slightly away. If you import... If you ever try to import that, it is better to stick to slightly, you know, uh, indigenous ones and iteratively build it up. We'll reach there. Now that imported one, you are now, you look at our Indian, you know, we got Russian equipment, we got Western equipment. Can we take any stand which is antagonizing the Russians or the Westerners? Have, yeah. you, have we thought of it? Thought of it? 70, 80% is, of, you know, 70% is fully, you know, Russian. Yeah, and actually this dependency on f foreign countries for weapons and equipment and how it can uh, paralyze your decision-making is something to be seen at this particular moment. Absolutely. You may not like Russia Russia's view on certain things. You can't say anything because 70% of your aircraft and tanks are coming from there. Uh, likewise for the West. Okay, let me put it the, you know, in that way also. Okay, there you are. Now you look at our ICT. Entire civilian infrastructure controlled by Chinese. The military infrastructure controlled by the Americans. Okay. What policy will you take? You're caught in between. Hmm. Who planned this? Where is the national strategy? Hmm. You know, these are obvious questions which people need to ask. We are caught. I don't know who are the people who have taken these. And these are things which have continued for decades. It's not happened overnight. 
So we need to, you know, that is why I personally feel that people need to get into policies, international relations. Lot of, there are a lot of bright youngsters. Okay, my son asks asks me those simple questions. Hey, why is this new road which has been laid within two weeks it is dug? So I smile. What do I tell him? Okay. So in uh, in the earlier episode we talked about uh, you know that one incident uh, which you helped crack uh, when you know the the northeast uh, was being targeted and suddenly there was that exodus from Mumbai and everywhere and you were looking in as to where these rumors were circulating and things mm. like that now when i heard this cbs thing it just you know some of the things that they were mentioning about how um the chinese are impacting on their elections you know earlier election it was the russian interference now they are talking about chinese interference in their elections it's a different matter about american in- <laughs> interference in elections but you know we are we are at a stage where we are going into india is going into election in 2024 so is america so they are worried too we are worried too because we are going into 2024 and there there is talk that uh, that many countries uh, are worried about how what which way india is going to go hmm. see nobody likes india to be powerful many people have said that because here you have another uh dimension which is coming in you know like now india is turning around in every platform and saying what is un with uh, security council without india do you it doesn't make sense what is g20 or g23 without we are uh, without us sitting out there what is any platform without india so india becoming powerful is not a convenient thing for many countries so now when we go into an election mode it is something that we need to worry about to whether our elections can be manipulated changed hit by any of these uh, countries which might try and how could they go about doing that okay i talked to you about social cohesion which i identified as the actual strategic uh, threat to indian uh, national security unless things go nuclear okay mm-hmm. but in between that social cohesion before it it hits is elections mm-hmm. sentiments of people what does blown up definitely you know cambridge analytica is where it started where it was shown for the first time yeah that but in spite of that do we have a localization policy for our data no we have not taken that decision mm. okay for what would be the reason but if that data of our population varied population is sitting somewhere else and social media is functioning the way it is we will have no idea when it is getting when it is getting manipulated only the platforms will come to know the west comes to know because they own the platforms we can't even you know we are dependent on them to tell us what is going, what is happening sir in the present scenario now you are saying about we are talking about influencing people or sentiments exploiting sentiments now in the indian scenario we have like say elections uh, this very month and results will be out next month early next month now sitting like su- suppose we are sitting uh, outside the country say china hmm. china which has lot of mobile phones ict infrastructure Uh, it has huge presence in india if they want how can they do it sir i explain to you that um like like uh, uh, there is an election in rajasthan hmm. if they want to influence uh, the uh, the constituents of a particular constituency uh, the voters of a particular constituency in favor of say xy or z political party can this be done absolutely so how it happens is uh, one is social media activism not many people are active on social media if you look at the population per se okay they might be but how do we sense a sentiment that is because of that smartphone and the sensors out there hmm. 
Now, which is the largest, uh, you know, smartphone manufacturers in India is the Chinese companies. Okay. And there is something called the OEM layer. So, he can take the data and he can. He can sense what is happening. When a person is looking at it, is he happy? He is not happy. If you're on social media, that is much more easier because uh, you're on Twitter, you tweet something, I tweet something else. Everything gets sensed. Okay. Uh, so, you come to, you. The, the Americans are a bigger power in this because they also have penetration towards social media. But the Chinese absolutely, okay, can get the data. And then it is creating a narrative. See, people also say that only data will not make sense to, to analyze, interpret that da uh, data and tell a story. And manipulate it. Yes. Manipulate okay. views. Like, like, for example, uh, I remember when I was a kid, it was very, you know, Moraji Deshai, they famously say, lost this election because by the time the next turn came, they all said that, you know, what they said, that he used to consume something, hmm. some bodily fluid. It was a joke, no? Hmm. Everywhere, correct? Yeah. And he lost the election. Okay. So, we do not know at this point how it will be manipulated, how it is being played up. See, uh, for example, Soros. Okay. Soros is, what is Soros? He's purportedly a billionaire who's got money and is said that, oh, I commit $1 billion to unseat the government. Now, that I feel is straight away an attack on Indian sovereignty. But if you look at Soros, he's clearly a, a man of the deep state of the West. He's backed by the West. So, he's an independent decision he's taken. And what has he taken that decision on? These people are buying Russian oil. It's a geopolitical statement where a private citizen of another country is making this statement. It's an attack on Indian sovereign, uh, sovereignty. Now, how do we, you know, how do how do, how do we tackle this if we do not have a robust privacy, privacy policy? If we do not localize our data? Manipulation. Now, if you look at, like, for example, your mail. You might have been on email for the last 10 years. Do you remember what you have written 10 years back? Now, that service, that provider can turn it around. It can, it can manipulate everything. It is just zeros and ones. They can change it. History will change. Your personal history might change. Okay. It is a narrative of how it has been, uh, you know, uh, bought in. Like uh, 1857, it was on oh, cow, you know, and pig, uh, you know, that oil is mixed. We do not know what it is going to be. They can, they get the data. They sense it much faster than you. Or how it is going to manifest, we do not know. Absolute elections can be affected. In fact, uh, I'm very sure a lot of these companies which are consulting in the West for election influence, I think India is a much bigger market. But I have realized that the biggest money in India is spent actually on elections. Yeah. Okay. yeah. There's a huge... See, there are these companies which are sitting with data that can be manipulated, as he said. Uh, we'll come to the Israel-Hamas war because that's where a, a lot of manipulation is happening too. But let me come back to this. Let's deal with this first and then go on to that war where manipulation is happening. Uh, in this, uh, you know, this um, Christopher Ray, the FBI director, he says, uh, we had a case, he's talking about election manipulation. He says, we had a case which was indicted that not long ago where there was an actual congressional candidate who was very critical of the Chinese government. The efforts were initially to see if they could come up with dirt on that candidate. That is the Chinese efforts to see if they could come up with dirt on this American candidate. Why? Because he was doing anti-China, uh, he was critical of China. Uh, on the candidate to derail his candidacy. Even before he gets elected, it's to derail his candidacy only. And then to try to concoct dirt, just fiction about the candidate. And then if that didn't work, 
there was even discussion about the candidate befalling a horrible accident if you remember even at that cambridge analytica case at that time they said there's the pizza uh, joint in which hillary clinton is running something yeah yeah and then she's she is falling because she's getting uh, a mental disorder she's falling so there was this whole thing created that she is mentally incapable of being the next next president of america right now similar things can also happen that was so many elections back trump got elected after that biden got elected so we are talking about before two elections of america right now we are talking about our election we're talking about the coming election these kind of things can be now created by china yeah definitely how it, do we get to know i doubt whether we'll because see who owns that data the platforms where it is going to happen we can only you know we can only analyze some part of the data okay indian capabilities today uh, we have got companies which have come up which we mm. are trying to nurture and create who can analyze but uh, it is the platforms the original platforms are king in this they don't allow their all their data to be analyzed by some other company okay mm. so where are our laws for protecting india this is something which we have been batting on for quite some time we need to see information is the most sensitive domain like politicians are very aware anything about news etc they become aware but in the military the home ministry etc are they you know because they are information oh, that's just are they that sensitive have we created that we haven't is what you're saying don't ask me tell me we haven't so which means our elections are very vulnerable at this point of time absolutely so for example say ajit is standing for election he gets a ticket hmm. right from uh, x party hmm. y party doesn't want x to win for him to get because he has possibility of winning he his email account which is 10 years back i can manipulate that i'd say that he was a chinese not, agent not really manipulate or he was See, an american I agent i have always said this people say oh if you don't do anything wrong you have nothing to worry the human condition is you will do wrongs inadvertently okay that is a human condition if you don't do wrongs you're god show me a man or woman who says that they've never done any wrong i'll tell you that is god okay we all do that is why privacy is important if you look at the history of ajit from the time he was born to today if i have all the data i can just make ajit da- dance you know now that particular incident where you said about chinese trying to target a american politician of chinese origin hmm. okay i remember that yeah. case now that's a gentleman who is in us protected by us laws and the data would have been mostly you know out there supposing china had all his data huge problem yeah okay india where is the data i told you about uh, yuval noah harari saying that when you have enough data of another country you don't need to send an army to you know capture it you can control their election process and their leaders and their bureaucratic and military heads they got all the data and if anyone says that oh these people are not supposed to do wrong no it doesn't happen people make mistakes inadvertent and every person have their own sens- uh, sensitivities hmm. which can be manipulated okay even if he is doing no criminal act per se there are sensitivities where he can be manipulated hmm. this is something which is you know but we and they don't have, we don't have to wait for a conflict like situation uh, like yeah yeah it, it, it will never escalate to that conflict like you were in the earlier episode you talked about how the electricity failure in mumbai happened hmm. and it could have been sabotage by uh, china at that stage 
saying that we have attacked you in your mainland. We don't necessarily so I, need I, to. So I, I mentioned that. See, they say there was a connection originating from China with Sushidov. Hmm. Okay, but this domain is such. Is it China? It's an American company telling us. Our people couldn't find it. Hmm. So what I'm saying is, in this domain, we do not know uh-huh. who is our enemy and who is our friend. So to to okay, so it's not necessary that China. Did the, that the, act? Yeah. We were told that China did the act by the Americans. Did the Americans share actual intelligence with us, or was it to tell us or influence us against yeah, that's China? That's a possible. See, as at a, pro- a time when we are yeah, in conflict. Yeah. So, as a, it's a possibility, you know, which I have to. What is false flag operations? Mm. It's part of the, you know, toolkit. A yeah. false flag flag operation. Okay. Now, when you look at the fallout, it could have been China, Paul. You know, I'm not saying it is not. But mm. how are you sure? We don't even know. We How do we get to know? Okay, in two, three ways. First is the loss. Second is by t- uh, owning the technology. We don't have the loss to protect us. We don't have that. The technology is not owned by us. So we are dependent on others telling you, "Oh, this is what is going wrong," and we have just no way other than to listen to them. So this false flag thing, we had uh, Hani Bakshi on the show, and he was. We discussed this Israel Hamas thing, and. You know, you were talking about false flags. That's exactly what he was also saying. Is that when we were saying, why was there an intelligence failure? Hmm. Mossad and you know, like all the uh, hoopla around uh, their intelligence. What happened? And he said it was deliberately done. What they did was that probably did was that they gave the impression that all the attack is going to come from West Bank, hmm. Hmm. and they were planting information. Hmm. And the, everybody thought Hezbollah, Hezbollah, Hezbollah is going to do this. And it happened from Hamas. So I am slightly a more cautious per- person than Hani Bakshi. So I will not commit myself. Okay. The truth is, we at this stage do not know. Hmm. That is the truth. No one knows in the. You right. know, I am very sure that no one can authentically say, "Oh, this is exactly what happened." No, it's one of the possibilities. It is only a possibility. Hmm. That is a possibility. Yeah. Okay. So when you take, so you, when what is war gaming all about? Is exploring various possibilities, looking at actions of people, and finally, who stands to benefit out of the whole thing? It'll take some time before it comes out. Hmm. Okay, so I, for a person, would say that sit back, don't jump, watch carefully, don't le- reach to conclusions so fast. So the the reason why we are, we're discussing this is because we have to have learning experiences in India, right? Because we are also surrounded by uh, countries which are inimical to us. I'm not saying it's the same thing as uh, inimical to us. It's not the same as uh, Israel. But we also could face similar kind of attacks. So here I've said, now I go back to Thucydides. There's something called the famous Thucydides trap. When there is an ascendant power and an existing hegemon. US is the existing hegemon. There is an ascendant power, China. And Thucydides says, invariably they'll clash at one point. Okay? And we are seeing all the, you know, the talk has started, no? Hmm. But another thing which we need to do is, when this is there... What would the ascendant power or or the hegemon try to do? Instead of directly clashing, can they get someone else to do the clash for them? Yeah. So we need to be careful. So I have again said, we have, you know, a bot equipment which can sense. For example, okay, without naming anything, we have said, okay, we will use these equipment to sense what is going on uh, militarily from, you know, uh, uh, in the Indian Ocean region and around India. So I've said, okay, this is mis- this is a big mistake. If I use your eyes to see, I'm relying on you. Hmm. So if you are using radars and other detectors which are showing, can they paint pictures which are not existing? 
you have already allowed the data to go back to them the original equipment manufacturer this is dangerous classical uh, you know information warfare hmm. it has to be an you know in some way controlled we have not done those things and i don't know why it is not happening i've clearly said in this changing world order there will be conflict like for example today morning i uh, you know while coming the side i saw biden's tweet okay not biden's tweet exactly his you know tweets uh, quoting biden which says in the next 2 to 3 uh, 2 to 3 years things will happen in such a way which will affect the next 6 to 8 generations of people an inflection point what is going to happen we today are feeling oh we are a indispensable nation why are we indispensable because of the west stands where they are and Ch- and the chinese block st- stands where they are the actual swing power whichever way we swing we are the swing state that power uh, that side will have the larger economy the larger number of people the larger this does that make us endearing or can we be used as a tool to you know by other other powers we need to be careful sir uh, the recent israel hamas uh, conflict that we are seeing now uh, in that i see lot of misinformation lot of uh, uh, fake stories being put out by uh, by the other by both the sides against each other how is uh, like how do you see this missing game uh, games being played out uh, to uh, gain sympathy of the world view okay so why is palestine such a sensitive topic in the islamic world for that to understand that you have to go to the beginning of the century you know um, yeah. and you'll realize there was you know the arabs before were not uh, divided into independent states there used to be a caliphate which had collapsed at the you know at the turn of the century and uh, into different different countries now there were famous arab thinkers who had said at like the way we are saying today that we used to be great at one point of time but we are no longer great we are losing power etc they at that time felt that the west has come ahead and taken over arabs and arabs have now become a slave people because at one point the caliphate was a uh, you know global power out there so these people were trying to get the arabs together not in a islamist way but to give them a sense of arab pride and islamic history etc etc those are foundational narratives for the entire muslim world islamic world okay and they identify very closely that particular thing with israel and palestine that's why you will see globally all over you know the muslims get very easily inflamed about palestine i doubt that you know many you know the vast majority of indian muslims would have even met a palestinian mm-hmm. can you imagine the sort of inflammation now you look at Hindus in India, they can immediately identify with, oh, this happened to Kashmiri pundits in Kashmir, and the Jews are like, you know, if you look at the map, they are just little and they are the ones being targeted. But is this our fight? We are a different nation. We can't get ourselves. You can be academically viewing it. You should not get inflamed. But this is something which easily can inflame our people. Is very very apparent. Okay, so Israelis are definitely a global power as far as cyber medium is concerned. they got a top class team okay ict infrastructure to creating narratives etc they are world class but they are hugely outnumbered by muslims the muslims feed into the narrative and that's why you're seeing that sort of inflammated you know stories which are, i see it very clearly and but my biggest worry is our people should not get inflamed we need to take the rhetoric saying just cool down there is some fight happening in the middle east let us not you know like for example in kerala one islamist group took out a procession dressed up in khaki carrying their flag which initially looked like italian it turned out to be a party which i have not even heard of 
but is there a need to take out such a you know you have got visuals of children women every uh, get you know killed do you really need to take out that and i suddenly people start texting me sir, there is hamas in kerala i said there is no hamas in kerala man as far as i know <laughs> no even today there is no hamas but, but people got mm. but, but uh, coming to uh, coming to this point sir now there is uh, now uh, there is this influx of huge number of videos come from all types of groups uh, of uh, some claim that hamas is getting badgered some claim that israelis are get, they are killing them even if you go on social twitter uh, or the x uh, there are uh, people who are putting out stories sent by idf there are people putting out stories sent by or videos tweeted by hamas and others now in this uh, day and age when there is so much of uh, like everybody has got smartphones they have all these apps whatsapp x or whatever it's full of those videos and they are creating a viewpoint among people people are getting divided on pro israel anti israel pro hamas anti hamas kind of lines how does like this influencing even if you don't want it you can't stop it education we need to educate people we need to our leaders need to come out our uh, social leaders also need to come out what are we achieving see you might be doing one for entertainment or information but the, you can very clearly see which way whose identity is what on social media by the way they are sharing that content right it's so obvious okay this is pro uh, hamas this is pro israel we don't need to get inflamed is what i'm trying to it's such a divisive you know rhetoric over there it's a huge tragedy happening of you know women children etc getting killed both sides i look at it objectively okay it's a war which was uh, going to happen in any case it's happened now how do i i have done hardly any comments other than academic comments because i know that firstly i don't know the truth and this is a uh, you know a medium which can easily inflame okay and people can get very because when it's a foundational narrative about the identity people get inflamed no. there is no truth like they are saying there's truth decay what is happening is that one incident might have sparked this whole thing hmm. which might have been based on truth but subsequently the narratives are so so skewed and dramatic so if you take 100 people average of a population there will always be you know 5 to 10 on either side which are very deeply affected Hmm. depending on what is a you know political or societal viewpoint or religious viewpoint i'm worried about those you know those 5 to 10 is huge when you take a country of a billion people okay so we need to be very very careful and we should not you know people you know like when i heard tan hari bakshi say that, uh, you know uh, there will be lone uh, wolf attack yes he is you know he can he can plug into it and see oh this will have certain sympathetic waves which will you know and people will try to you know that we need to realize and it's from everyone's from right from school so this i think we need to take advisory saying that from the children onwards in fact children are a big influence on their parents too in the schools if you take it advisory saying hey don't get into this particular thing don't get inflamed look at things in a you know in a critical and a suspicious manner rather than just buying into a narrative these are very very important things correct. which we need to do correct uh, sir uh, now uh, you're talking about this uh, how it is influencing people now we had uh, an instance where a hamas leaders speech was directly televised uh, or shown in a rally in kerala and soon after there was a day after that there was a bomb blast which people feared that it was uh, a lone wolf attack or attack by some organization now uh, 
when such tempers are high people are taking side how how important does so, uh, it become the kerala uh, population a large percentage of them work in the middle east okay so, and there are uh, business and family relations lasting centuries over there so whatever happens in the middle east it definitely is of importance to people in kerala okay um now there is no law which prevents a hamas leader from you know addressing you know people normal political this and you know in fact about two decades back i noticed when i was that time i was still in service i noticed that the americans had started looking for malayalam translators because they had started picking up terrorist chatter where between kerala and the middle east okay and classically how did that particular thing even come into kashmir when the americans said okay this is to fight uh, the soviets in afghanistan they encouraged the jihad at that time and they created a economy which existed on funding the jihad that means the sakat which is collected in the middle east a good portion of that used to go to fund the mujahideen okay and how uh, that started uh, encouraging salafism all over the world and a large part of that money came to india the west mosques were all you know al hadith mosques etc you know not traditional islam which was existing likewise in kerala 20 years back there was no separate you know you could hardly see people wearing um, i i say it with no you know uh, this now uh, there was no difference in dresses per se there were subtle differences but there were no today when i go back people say although i don't feel it because i've been in north india i've seen you know in kashmir etc i understand you know and in fact i got es- uh, exposed to islam more in kashmir when i started studying islam the hadith the quran etc to understand what motivates the people but even in kashmir sir uh, if you look back 30 years 20 years back if you look back 30 years also before all the, where did you see full burqa even in the schools and all that i didn't see hijab so, so that is precisely what i'm saying because the, because of this encouragement for fighting the global jihad the jihad jihad at that yeah. time was popular yeah but i saw it in kerala that's what i was trying to say yeah the weather you know kerala is amazing yeah it yeah it is I, hot weather I but know. i didn't see and in uh, kashmir it is cold weather but still in kashmir i didn't see full burqa so, but in kerala i did so when you encourage jihad ha huh. okay that time jihad was necessary for the west to fight the soviets in afghanistan so they encouraged it without realizing the long term repercussions of what is going to happen the jihad is very closely associ- uh, you know affiliated with the religion itself hmm. because even when i went to kashmir people said sir jihad was never part of you know one of the basic tenets of islam yeah kerala we never you know but when that the you know certain firqas they say you know like the alhadis etc they follow the salafi you know um, and the slightly puritanical sense of islam so it started that money which was coming was to promote the religion that particular religious thought because the the people who can fight only come from that islamist strand of Muslim. but this hamas guy doesn't get interviewed in or doesn't come on a, any uh, event in uttar pradesh won't come in bengal won't happen in hyderabad in you know any place in telangana or andhra pradesh it will happen in kerala and sure enough it will happen in kerala you might say there is no law against it but it's like most <coughs> indians say ha yahan pe hi to hona okay, tha okay so let me you know being a keralaite although i have left kerala a long time back it is not as bad as i'm being very honest it is not as bad as it is being projected in the let me say the north indian press hmm. okay 
Kerala is still a place where you know, like when I look at my classmates, etc. I know people. I know my friend. You know, we know each other. We all, you know, we all sit together, drink, eat food together. This But it wasn't an academic exercise, sir, which was happening, right? So it was also influence peddling. So, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, definitely, without doubt. And then, the, the, and then, sir, then videos come out where people are uh, of women wearing burkas. Uh, At the, around so the same, wearing burqa, telling telling a woman in sari to uh, to cover no, their no, hair. No, no, that was a fake news thing. So no, that's what I'm saying, ma'am. That these videos come out and they create a perception. The perception becomes stronger hmm. that such a thing is happening, such these things are happening, and it is mostly happening. The polarization. The polarization. So and kept. that was not an event. That was not. Uh, let me let's reiterate that there, that was not something that was happening which was real which is that it wasn't as if the woman in burqa was telling the woman yeah. not in a burqa that you can't travel that was busted as fake news but the polarization happens no so the social media activism has got its downsides and we need to you know firstly educate we can't you know because uh, the right to free free speech is in, enshrined in the constitution sure. it's a fundamental right and it's a very important right yeah so now is social media activism before social media was not there today it is there so the only way to tackle it is by educating the population i have had people say uh, you know how to how do you interact how do you interact respectfully in social media social media is a place where people just abuse you know you can see the sort of mm, sure that's not even considered uh, implied behavior hmm I feel that we need to educate our masses. There has to be educational lessons on how to you uh, change into a step into new technology without education. All this is bound to happen. But if you step out of it, hmm. it happens with us many times. We are told, "Don't get into it," because it is such it is rabble. Like what happened in that case? We uh, let's come back to that case which happened in Kerala when the when the bomb attack happened. It was considered a lone wolf attack till. Somebody didn't turn around and put in Facebook, and he turned about Dominic or something. His name was, and he he so, said it is not so, related so to. So I can only tell you how I reacted. Okay, I got it. A lot of people try to because people feel that I know this thing and people will want mm. my opinion. I said, "Yeah, I do not know." That is my first reaction. People said, "Can you find out?" I said, "Yeah, wait, wait for the thing to pop up." No, I just didn't react to it. Mm. Okay, the, there is a time for the truth to come out. what will initially come out will be we still don't know the full truth is what my you know sure. uh, feeling is how are we commenting on things which we don't even know hmm. okay so that slowly has to come in because it's a volatile time elections are around the corner more things will start you know when the elections are going to happen everyone with common sense should know that this is the time to cool down and think with your head rather than think with your heart emotions and the confirmation bias you already have a bias and then an incident happens you say ha dekha maine to socha hi tha maine to bola hi tha absolutely mm. absolutely i think the election commission um again should uh, you know start uh, what is the place where we can take the message to the masses is why the schools and colleges where it will slowly return into the rest of the society also mm. okay i personally feel we need to educate the people Uh, that uh, this is something which is i personally feel it needs to be urgently tackled you know fake news disinformation misinformation etc is a epidemic in india so talking about uh, coming back to this idf hamas conflict that is going on now uh, we are seeing uh, videos uh, i've seen idf videos coming out in hindi uh, in different languages now what is and the way they have started a youtube channel there is a spokesperson that is widely circulated the videos they are 
they are circulating stories of people their heroes the victims how poor, how badly they were affected and this is not just for their own consumption they are sending it to different countries it's getting translated people are sharing them maybe somebody is doing it locally or it's but there are there is enough content available is there a lesson for us to learn in this that how we should be prepared if something happens then our narrative to gain uh, to tell the world absolutely you hit it on the on on the nail as usual um, you know israelis like i said are world leaders in this okay they have a plan in place and they know they have to carry this story back because their retribution is going to be very harsh there are no nice wars they all dirty you know involves killing of people okay now it's how the narrative is spun israelis are trying are doing a masterclass and telling their stories globally they have although they are few in number they are coming out with convincing stories okay um the hamas side out there there is no internet hamas cannot do social media activism is from outside europe uh, and yeah, other, places. other places they are not that coordinated uh, they want to tell the story of that you know this is gross injustice happening to these people that story they would want to say but they are not that coordinated at this stage okay um but whoever wins in this narrative war will win the war you 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 will slowly realize this okay and uh, india we need to have our plans in place in, in fact people say okay was is provoked by israel because they are planning to do this further thing we do not know but usually what um, you know wise nations do is they will have plans in place in case a crisis happens already and when this crisis happens like for example 911 happened osama bin laden they made the correct call but they went into iraq which we realize now had nothing to do with 911 but that was something which they wanted to do otherwise too okay india needs a, a needs Wag to the tail <laughs> not that you need to you know when in times of crisis is when political consensus happens so you said hamas doesn't need to have a narrative in place whereas the israelis have this narrative in place somehow even though they don't have the setup they mm. don't have a youtube channel they don't have the translators they it's it's not a country mm. it's it's an organization mm. uh, which doesn't need to have a narrative in spite of that in the in european countries in american campuses their narrative is running everywhere so, so how does that happen so i think you quoted me wrong or understood me wrong hmm. um it is not hamas the palestinian people definitely have an, a narrative which is based on you know fundamental injustice done to the palestinians uh, in fact i said in the turn of the centuries when certain arab thinkers um you know the decline of the islamic world itself was you know shown as the palestine israel clash that here were jews which were being targeted by europeans and who are the people get who get affected the middle east middle eastern people they come there to israel and okay the jews must have been there centuries back yeah. but here was a different sort of people out there and they promised land yeah so they have a narrative which has a larger you know narrative dimension in the entire islamic world because it's linked very closely with the decline of the islamic nation the caliphate the narrative is existing that's why the global you know you'll find people think what does this uh, you know a, a guy in kashmir or kerala have to do with the palestinian muslim will they allow the palestinians to come and you know the, the even the neighboring states are not allowing them to come into their state but the narrative exists 
crass injustice hmm. okay that recognizing that narrative is very important and they feel that pain hmm. injustice and that injustice and that narrative will have larger repercussions globally hmm. jews also have a narrative okay this is definitely a class clash of you know when you when i look at it dispassionately both have you know logical narratives which looks okay from both sides you know that is why clash what happens what is the trickle down effect on india of this we do not have a large population of jews in india hmm. but we do have a large population of muslims in india what are the repercussions on them whether will they feel you know that cross injustice has been done to them a muslims globally and in you know that is something which we need to think about because any population which is alienated with a feeling oh cross injustice being openly done hmm. they will react in some way so you're talking about a narrative which uh, is not as organized maybe as uh, the jewish narrative but it will influence indians that is where you get to kerala the large percentage of that particular population originates from kerala their livelihoods are totally intermingled over there the business and personal contacts hmm. friendships of decades they are very sensitive to it so it is not that kerala is batting for palestinians or you know the way it has been painted oh kerala is a place where problem no it is people's links linkages it's bound to be there natural gelf yeah so and will that impact on the politics of uh, of 2024 will that impact on the politics it's already impacted on academia it's impacted in social media it's impacted in the media traditional media so too so will those have a larger impact because the 2024 elections are some still some distance away so we do not know what else will impact how will it play out we do not know but information is a domain which impacts identity the heart and the brain of people mm. populations and you will find it small small things no sometimes you know i, I remember two two three uh, two decades back people said onion prices i don't even know whether it's the truth because onion prices went away we lost elections mm. no okay what will you know it might be true it might not be true we don't have the data to prove that hmm. what makes the tipping point where he says i vote here or i vote here we don't know correct it's a area of research but in cambridge analytica we got a idea of what can happen what is staunchly left or right will vote in that fashion it is undecided people with ah correct hmm. that's bound to happen it's so, so contested the price is worth it and the indian um, you know politics who is going to rule is a global price today it is not because which way the indians swing will have global imp- impact correct it's very clear will this party comes will the west benefit if this party comes will the chinese and the other side benefit that war is going to happen hmm. i can see that looks elementary no when i put it in that way yeah it does when you say that it does but it it's kind of frightening also the the that, responsibility uh hmm. from from who rules india to who's who we are as citizens going to make uh, our leaders for me the privacy fight was all, all always about this trying to highlight that there are implications privacy has got nothing to do with outsourcing industry and their survival it's hmm. got to do with a nation's survival a nation's future in right. fact it can even got to do with global you know the whole globe is going to get affected which way india swings so you advocated for the reconstruction of critical infrastructure using open source protocols managed by the private sector uh, but under national control could you give us more details on this approach okay so i wrote that paper basically 
because in 2013, when I just retired and was with the Ministry of Home Affairs, was when um, General Huda, uh, he was in the 16th Corps and was going to take over the Northern Command. Since we had worked and he was the, one of the first generals to get in information warfare and 2013 was the year when Snowden came out. Hmm. So General Huda took a unilateral decision. Oh, we need to indigenize because he was been following that. He realized that uh, how can you a military cohesively fight if you don't indigenize your networks and OS. So he um, bought in uh, an Indian OS uh, developed by CDAC, but they couldn't get the industry to support uh, to create certain appliances for that. And he then came to me and said, uh, Pavi, you know, I have not been able to get the Indian industry to get, in, you know, interested in it. He had just a few tens of lakhs for that. Okay. So I looked at the whole, you know, propose. I said, sir, this will take a few tens of thousands, uh, millions of dollars. Mm. He says, so then how do we do it? So there was this company called Zynga. Okay. Zynga is the largest gaming company in the world at that time. And there was a bunch of, uh, you know, Kerlites. Uh, Kerlites, who had bought up, you know, they, they were all classmates who had, uh, you know, joined Zynga. It's an American company. But they had joined it as a startup and built it up into a billion dollar, you know, uh, company. Mm -hmm. And um, big data, if you look at it, is more intensive in gaming. In fact, mm -hmm. they were the first, the Zynga was the first uh, company to get into big data. Mm -hmm. Then Membase, etc. They were one of the, um, you know, pioneers who contributed, the, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to create that Membase where all the big tech companies are today using Membase mm -hmm. and they open sourced it. Hmm. Okay, again, a bunch of Keralites and one Bengali again born brought up in Kerala, all classmates. Hmm. And another interesting part of this story is Singha was one of the few companies which stood up against a you know anonymous threat to bring down big tech. Hmm. Anonymous could get down almost all big tech companies, but Zynga couldn't. That is where I that came into my notice. I said, How did such a company you know withstand the attack? And then I realized what they had done is they created the entire infrastructure by stitching together open source and customizing it. Hmm. Okay. And uh, when this anonymous attack happened, since they owned the in entire infrastructure, they could detect it in real time and patch it. And it held up. But people who had bought third-party softwares, etc., they were dependent on those people and they couldn't really defend it. And anonymous was successful. And Zynga at that time had about 300 million users globally. And 100,000 to 200,000, you know, uh, mm. servers, big data, it used to go up and down. And they had all this, you know. So I then told General Huda, sir. Tap this. I said, see, I know the people. I can get them to come and visit you. Uh, it is for you to motivate them. Okay. And uh, General Huda said, okay, bring them over. He showed it to them, uh, this network. He says, we need to change it. Uh, but uh, at that time, I feel, I today I feel, he did not realize the enormity of the challenge that this is a national endeavor and maybe, but in the army, when a general decides to do, I had to back him. So I told him this is the way. He couldn't carry, I think, because there was large sections of the uh, resistance. resistance within out there and there was a larger resistance in the Indian soft outsourcing industry, which was totally joined at the hip with the American industry. And there were people even uh, in the rest of the government who were not very convinced without understanding. So we missed that. But, you know, I personally call it, the, although he didn't manage to, he bought this company up called D-Box. Okay, they restarted the company, created the appliances. I felt a lot of, because I was under, you know, I was in a classified appointment. I could not say exactly what I was doing. A lot of people used to think that this is my project, which I used to tell them, this is not my project. It's I'm just assisting the army commander to do it. It's a national endeavor. The privacy debates co-started with this. But mm -hmm. a judge came and we then engaged nationally to, you know, debate this. 
and if you look at that is why multiple iterations of the you know uh, privacy uh, bill which took place so three or four right it's only in the fourth they could finalize it because there is immense sense into indigenizing we have to indigenize it today or tomorrow to defend india i am one of the guys who have said that without a indigenous uh, ict stack infrastructure and a privacy uh, law which doesn't localize there can be no military defense of india i see this but in spite of that the power of big tech and the money power behind them are so big we today have a law which is still a lot to reach there is what i feel because we did a workshop um just a month back mm. we started off the center for national security studies in under ramaya university i have pivoted from a public universities to private because i have realized the limitations of a public university like a government university a vice chancellor changes a professor changes or a government officials in the education department change no plan survives it putting in all the effort and things dissipating so we started off the center for national security studies we did a um study of this law and it was eye opener for everyone people slowly realized that okay this is you know so we will uh, you know uh, we will make the study and we will send it to people saying that this is a study which has been done by people so it's a it's a fight which we have to have our own voice yeah. i personally feel that was a battle of plassey in not uh, in northern command wherein from a indigenous this we lost it we didn't even realize that is a goodness <laughs> yeah that enormous you know yes when you look at it historically 100 years hence yeah you will realize that was one place we lost hmm. we are losing multiple the second is this legislation if you don't get it right yeah there will be again parallels now who are you know like lot of our uh, you know big businessmen not tied at the hip they are the ones who need this they are the ones who are running the ict companies etc they need those they look at the cheapest and best hmm. so can that be a national policy because uh, you know promoter wants it we had bsnl who said no they wanted chinese and i was you know i was so happy to hear the minister openly say yes they are traitors i agreed with him first time you know a minister is calling bsnl traitors unprecedented in the history of india no later on out here finally the minister had to say that whatever happened previously fine you move on otherwise you'll have to move out yeah that sort of penetration is there no in our system because people get affect you know and the and the problem with ict or this infrastructure is that people are so used to it like people would uh, you you can see people openly advocating for self reliance or indigenization in weapons weapon systems because we have seen that uh, america gives an f16 to pakistan but when it doesn't tow its line it says okay i'll not give you the upgrade i'll not give you the, this weapon you i'll not off. give you the engine In i'll the switch off uh, <laughs> i have kill switch wali baat i have everything to make you uh, not use this weapon against your enemies but in ict nobody says that uh, I, i like i don't see it so popularly being said that we should have this router it should be indigenous it this should be indigenous and there are several places where we visit we see uh, not just in military but in private sector in in public sector as well as in uh, private sector where Um, people are not even bothered that what is so happening so the money power is with those companies they are going to run the narrative it is a national aim to change the narrative it can't be you know indian uh, certain entrepreneurs trying to change the narrative this is a national cause it's like uh, a new war of independence we are colonized today okay i bluntly say this uh, digitally we are colonized now how do we change that okay and the other side is so well funded that's where the big money is how do you change it 
it's people like you who will bring people like me on the show and start that movement <laughs> i even wanted to get into ai but i think that is going to be a different uh, episode totally about the dangers of uh, artificial intelligence artificial intelligence just Can you if you could slowly just short in brief if you could tell us okay about this ict infra let me yeah uh, put it it's like the nervous system hmm. okay of a nation nervous system that nervous system of this nation is not owned by us likewise for the military their nervous system is owned by other nations can you beat it existing on a air gap you know these are all things which will people look back and say hey is that a valid coherent professional decision to take how did we reach there okay we need to take this fight uh, because it's a very very important fight it's not a because i don't know whether we have time because we are at an inflection point world order is changing chance of conflict globally is very very high how it will be manipulated how people will get other people to do their fights historically i'll give you a small little thing which you can keep it the last two world war, world wars some of the largest quantity of manpower supplied by indians okay hmm correct it was not our war but millions of indians fought that war yeah so if this new global this is going to happen this this one thing we have in abundance hmm manpower youth bulge think about it Yes, you've given us a lot of uh, fodder to chew on. <laughs> we'll have to think about all that you have said, and I hope uh, that policymakers uh, also realize the enormity of what you're saying. That you know where we are, the inflection point. Thank you so much, Colonel Pavitran, uh, for coming on the show and discussing all this with us. Thank you. I, I have started enjoying the show. You know, <laughs> I you know, in fact, I was initially the first time when Aj uh, Ajit was after me to come. and his thing was sir uh, there are so many people who want to come on the show and i am after you for two months and you are not ready to you know, <laughs> i was like a person who was you know yeah second time he called me i was slightly more open because i said okay that this is a message which can you know i saw that the show is popular and this is a message which needs to be taken and i feel that you know i can see that the youth are a lot of people are you know enthused with that yes. so a lot of people are you know listening to this narrative and it needs to be carried thank, thank you thank you thank you so much sir thank, thank you, you. Thank you for watching or listening in to this edition of the ANI podcast with Smita Prakash. Do like or subscribe on whichever channel you have seen this or heard this. Namaste, Jai Hind.